What's up, Irish fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Slauncher Route. I'm your host, Jack Lennier, and we've got another great show for you today. We had some breaking news just before hitting record. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence has tested positive for COVID-19. He'll miss their game against Boston College this weekend, but has not yet been ruled out for the game against Notre Dame on November 7th. So more details to come on that story. And then, as always, we broke down Notre Dame's uh, most recent game, which was a 45-3 to victory over Pittsburgh last weekend. And then we previewed their upcoming game against Georgia Tech this Saturday. Now, before we get to my conversation with Ben Belden, we have a quick word about Anchor. I'm now joined again by Ben Belden. Ben, thank you for taking the time to, to join the podcast again. How are you doing today? I've been good. It's, uh, it's hectic. My life starts to uh, get very hectic. Uh, with basketball season starting and, and coaching and all that. But uh, we got Notre Dame football to talk about, so that's what's on my mind right now. Yes, we do. And typically our format is to recap the Notre Dame's game the previous weekend and then give our preview of the, the upcoming game. Um, but we just uh, had some monumental news come through about – an hour ago, and that is that Clemson starting quarterback Trevor Lawrence has tested positive for COVID-19. He's going to miss their game this weekend against Boston College. Um, but at least from what I'm seeing, there is still a slight chance that he can play when Clemson travels to South Bend on November 7th. Um, so something to certainly keep an eye on and, and follow as um, – as we get closer to, to that game. Um, but well, I mean, just talk about massive news. Uh, I know we had the news of Nick Saban testing positive. Um, was it like two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, some, something around that, that time. Yeah. Um, week and a half ago before their Georgia game. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, I mean, you could probably make the argument that, that, Lawrence testing positive is, is even bigger news, but I mean those two, along with you know a guy like uh, like Justin Fields or maybe like Dabo Swinney, like those are, you know it's, <laughs> you know talking about some some of the more significant players in the college football landscape and just the, the impact that they have. Um, so I guess instant reaction when when you learned of this news, Ben, what were you thinking? Yeah, so I don't remember which of uh, the many sports apps that I have on my phone uh, came up first when I, to display that news. But I do remember, you know, I, I was thinking my first initial reaction was, ah, oh, geez, because this is just a lose-lose situation for Notre Dame. I mean, if they lose to Clemson, which, I mean, Clemson is still going to be a good football team. But and if they lose to Clemson, they're not even good enough to beat Clemson with their backup quarterback. And if they beat Clemson, then it's just a situation where, well, it took Notre Dame playing a team that was down their star quarterback to win a, their first big game, um, you know, of that magnitude in that type of situation. So, you know, I, I would prefer Clemson to just be at full strength. Um, it seems like that actually might be a possibility, but we'll see. We'll get more clarity on that. Um but yeah, it's just it's just a crazy it's just crazy to be in 2020 and to have to think about the fact that you know we're talking about a team that 
you know, play a game that is being played in nine days. And we're talking about a quarterback potentially being out because of an illness because he's sick. That's just overall, just kind of baffling uh, just from a general sense to me, but you know, that's kind of the world we live in here in 2020. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, I mean, we're just constantly reminded uh, the times we're living through just, just how unusual um, everything is. Um, and I will say, and I don't think I've ever really, you know, put voice to this, but I have always been of the belief that Notre Dame's best chance to reach the playoff this season was going to be something that looked like losing to Clemson during the regular season and then beating them in the conference championship game. Now, if Trevor Lawrence isn't able to play against Notre Dame on November 7th, I mean, it certainly improves their chances. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's it's a, a certainty that they're, they're definitely going to beat Clemson because, um, I mean, just – their their backup quarterback is a former like he was like the I'm pretty sure the top quarterback prospect in the country um, in his recruiting class uh, so I mean he could probably play um, you know I don't, I don't think he's gonna be you know just some some, some scrub that they're they're trying out there um, and then on top of that just the rest of the talent on their team um, and again they look pretty solid defensively. They've got playmakers like Amari Rogers and, and Travis Etienne. So um, while losing a player of the caliber of Trevor Lawrence is about the, a big of a loss as you can incur as a college football team, um, I'm sure they're uh, – I mean, when, when you're at these top programs, they all have that next man up mentality. So um, it's definitely not something to, to overlook. Um, now, I mean, we'll probably see some some major movement in in the in the lines uh, if he is ultimately ruled out. Um, and then you'll obviously have those people who, if Notre Dame were to beat them, you know, try to put some qualifiers on it, and rightfully so, because obviously you're not you're not beating them at their full strength. Um, and that I think it, it can be frustrating, but I think Notre Dame, even in that instance, could still take some pride in in um, still beating a team the, the 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 quality of Clemson but I mean it's just a, a, a crazy situation and so, like I said we still don't know for certain whether or not he's going to be able to play or not and it seems like it's just barely going to be on the outside of the ACC protocols which are a mandatory 10-day isolation I believe yes um and so, yeah, this is going to be wild. I think we're going to, if it, if he does ultimately play, we're probably going to hear some stories along the lines of what we heard um, with Saban, where he had someone, you know, rushing tests from his house to, uh, to the facilities right before, you know, kickoff of the game, just to make sure he can get that clearance and, and be there. And I think I saw someone saying that, you know, if, if Lawrence does ultimately test negative and, and meets the criteria to return to play, he would, I think, have to fly separately from the rest of the team. Um, and so, and so that, it would just be kind of a, a, a wild situation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm sure much, much, much more to come from that. 
um, and something that we can delve deeper into uh, next week when we when we're previewing this game. Um, but yeah, that's I mean just just absolutely monumental news um, and uh, yeah, crazy. Just sign of the times, really. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just gonna say it right now, and then we can kind of just put a bow on this. But like, regardless of if Trevor Lawrence plays or not, like <laughs> Notre Dame beating Clemson in reality is gonna still be a big win. You know, I mean, teams are, are people are gonna try to diminish it, um, but you know, football. There's 11 guys to play offense, and you know, it's not like the guy behind he's, Trevor Lawrence doesn't. I mean, he has no experience, but it's not like he's gonna be awful. And so Clemson's still going to be pretty darn good when they come to – regardless of what happens. So, I don't know. Like, I, already I see people on uh, on Twitter and things talking about, like, you know, oh, Notre Dame's still going to lose because they're terrible, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, just, just be quiet. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like like you said, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot more once we have some more clarity and once we're actually talking about this Clemson game. So, we can just kind of leave it there for now. All right. So moving along, Notre Dame had a a rather impressive victory at Pittsburgh this past weekend, winning by a final score of 45 to three and scoring nearly four times as many points as they did the week prior against Louisville. So hats off to, to the offense there. Um, and yeah, let's start on the offensive side of the ball, Ben. What, what did you like from, from the Irish offense uh, when they played Pitt this past weekend? Um, I think I said this on Twitter already that, you know, I think that I'm equal parts um, impressed and what's the word encouraged, I guess, but also at the same time still kind of think and wish things looked a little better. Um, I think I'm impressed with and encouraged by the fact that, you know, Notre Dame seems to have acknowledged at the very least that they need to go downfield with the ball. And it wasn't always perfect, and it wasn't always pretty. Um, a couple of them were actually kind of pretty, but there were there were still clearly some chinks in the armor, I suppose. Um, but obviously what we were looking for was improvement. We got some improvement. Um, if, you know, our your full-time listeners remember, I uh, picked 24 to 17 as the final score, and obviously I was very wrong about the way that that game played out. And uh, so overall, feel pretty good. Defense is good as as always. I know we're talking about the offense, and so I'm starting to stray. But generally, just pretty impressed and feel pretty decent. Hopefully, they build upon it, you know, with this Georgia Tech game. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I think I don't know if you saw the our staff picks article for Slap the Sign, but we didn't have a single person uh, predict that Notre Dame would score more than I think 28 was the highest point total going into this so um the final result i think everyone was uh pleased to be wrong with with their predictions there um and i guess i mean you do have to take in into consideration that they had uh three interceptions and then also had a, a block punt that they returned for a touchdown right before halftime um but yeah, I mean, especially um, because I know our, our in our conversations in the past, we've been critical of the passing game at times. Um, and we definitely got a better version of, of Ian Book this past Saturday. And really, I mean, I've talked about how I, I think he has to, you know, use his legs to 
to kind of get going a bit. And I think that's when the offense is at its best. Um, and I thought we saw some of that. Um, not necessarily as many design runs as we've seen in the past, but just feeling the pocket um, and just being comfortable in it and knowing, you know, having just a general feel of, all right, when these pass rushers are flying by me and I could see an opening and, you know, maybe my first, second, third options aren't immediately open, I could just take off and, you know, <laughs> live to live to fight another down, pick up a couple yards to make, make the next step, either pick up a first down or make the next down more, more manageable. Um, and he did just that. He seemed very comfortable sitting back there um, facing what was, I mean, a pretty formidable Pittsburgh uh, pass rush. So um, yeah, I mean, fairly impressed with that aspect. And then we did see him at least attempting to stretch the field a bit. And one of those resulting in a 70 something yard touchdown pass to to Bennett Skoranek, which um, I think a lot of fans were <laughs> happy to see. Uh, and just a, a great adjustment by, by Skoranek on that play yep. um, because the, he had a defensive back with, in, in pretty solid position. And there was a little bit of hand fighting, but I personally didn't think it was enough to warrant an offensive pass interference penalty. And I'm sure you find plenty of Pittsburgh fans who could disagree with that, but I just thought it was a great adjustment by by Skoranek to kind of fight for that inside leverage and then just high point the ball and uh, finish off the play as the as the defenders then just turning and, and complaining to the referee. Um, so at that point, you just got to say, all right, yeah, if you want to give up on the play, that's your prerogative. Um, yeah, and I guess we did – I mean, we've talked about the, the run game in the past, and they're – although they did have – a decent success rate on some short yardage plays and, and converting like third and short, fourth and short. Um, overall, they finished the day just averaging, let's see, 2.3 yards per carry, uh, 115 total yards of uh, rushing offense. So, I mean, nothing that, that looks really all that, all that great, but I mean, it was good enough, good enough to, to work in this game essentially um and i think more than criticize their name's line or, or running backs for being ineffective i think more credit is due to the the front seven of pid who i think is you know one of the better front sevens in the acc yeah um i think and I'm trying to look it up as you're talking right now. Uh, Notre Dame was really good on third down. I don't know what their third down percentage was right off the top of my head. And like I say, I'm trying to do it as I talk right now. And third down efficiency, 11 for 18. So that should, I mean, that should sort of tell you all you need to know. I mean, obviously the, they weren't running for two, 300 yards like we've seen them do in, at, at times. But obviously the run game was effective enough. And obviously the pass game as well that, you know, when you're picking up, you know, whatever that percentage is of third downs, um, you feel pretty good about what your offense is doing in, in terms of balance, especially when, you know, it was clear that the emphasis was on trying to find their passing game and that type of stuff. And um, to your point about Ian Book, I, I, he did look quite comfortable back there. And I think the biggest difference with him in the passing game that I saw in this game, at least early on, was, you know, all, the biggest knock on Ian Book all the time seems to be that he gives up on – on plays um, a little too early or he doesn't sit in the pocket long enough. He's too quick to run. 
Uh, I thought he pretty much made the right decision just about every time um, this during this game. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a couple of clips out there where, you know, even ESPN ran or ABC or whoever the heck broadcasted the game ran a clip where it was if he had thrown the ball on that um, Mayer touchdown, if he had thrown it earlier, it would have been an easy touchdown. He waited a little too long and threw it late kind of missed the openness of the receiver to a, a little bit and made Mayer get up there and make a great play. But overall, you know, I think that the plays he missed were far more minimal than we've seen in the past. And when he was scrambling, he was looking downfield, and, and that was his first priority. At least that was my read on the situation. So, you know, offensively, I uh, I feel pretty good about, you know, what, um, what Ian Book was able to do and um, – you know, I, I, like I say, against the pit pass rush and a defensive line, it's pretty darn good. You know, feel pretty good about 38 offensive points, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I guess on that note, um, cause I, don't, I guess I really don't have a ton more to add other than, you know, the, the our main area of concern was kind of eased a bit in seeing them uh, – you know, seeing them have have some success in the passing game, and I really don't put a whole lot of stock in in them having you know kind of like an off night running the ball. Um, like we mentioned, the, the strength of Pitt's defense, and you know, just larger sample size of of the whole season. Um, like pretty fairly, still very very confident in them their in their ability to run the ball. So wouldn't be hitting the panic button too much uh, in that in that aspect. Um, I guess, all right, moving to the defensive side of the ball, um, I mean, talk, just another strong performance from, from Clark Lee's unit. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, they did have those, those three turnovers, one of which was just an outstanding play by Jeremiah Wusukormo in, in coverage. Um, I think that as far as just like the, the difficulty level and I guess impressiveness, that was easily the, the most impressive of the three. Um, the other one was, uh, Bo Bauer just kind of dropping back into coverage and, and Joey Ellen just not really seeing him and throwing it pretty much right to him. Um, and then the third was to Nick McLeod, who was in great positioning, but the the throw was, I mean, if you look where the where the receiver was and where he was, it, it seemed like a little bit of an overthrow um, and still a, a, a nice catch from him and had to, you know, work to get his feet in bounds before coming down with that. Uh, so uh, another impressive one, but um but yeah, I guess outside of that, uh, any other things that you you liked from from the defense this past weekend? Um, honestly, I mean, really, what what wasn't to like? You know, um, they made a freshman quarterback look like a freshman quarterback. You feel good about that? I mean, it's just uh, you know, I won't I won't ramble on about the defense because, like I said, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. And you know, there's only so much to say other than they were really good. Um, it's just nice that it's you know. We saw against Florida State, it sort of felt like the defense took a little bit of a step back, sort of looked a little bit discombobulated, um, and you sort of wondered what was going on there. But, you know, back-to-back, very successful uh, games has me feeling just, you know, pretty darn good about the defense overall. Um, and for the most part, knock on wood, uh, people are healthy and should be, you know, available barring you know illnesses and things so that's obviously a big thing as well so uh, you know doing what they're supposed to do on defense we just got to get this offense to catch up a little bit 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, I know we've talked about the, the linebackers in the past and specifically the Buck linebacker position as, as Clark Lee's trying to figure out who, um, who kind of, you know, brings the most to this defense. Uh, I guess I wanted to get your opinion. Did, did this game change your mind at all as far as who you want to see get the lion's share of the reps at Buck? I can't say that I really watched that position close enough to have a real strong opinion about that. I mean, my inclination is like, no, it's like, keep, you might as well just keep doing it by committee because I don't know that I felt that anybody really, really took that over. I mean, I think drew drew white, the other linebacker position is, is, is as consistent as it gets. It's really that, you know, that buck position that, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know what to think about it because it just seems like, you know, you get the same production out of what, however many guys you throw in there. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I was just, I was throwing that to you just in case you had a strong opinion about it. Because I, I mean, same thing. I think I, I, I probably lean a little bit more towards Maris Leofau, but um, really, I think at least from from what we've seen from both him and Shane Simon, and although we haven't seen a ton of Jack Lamb, like I still think he's a decent football player, but. Um, and, and, and Kaiser too, I guess, you know, Brian Kelly was clamoring for him to, to get on the field a little bit more. And I, I didn't really go back and, and do like a full count of how many snaps he was out there for. Um, I'm, I'm sure he was on the field a bunch more towards the end when they were, um, getting some of the, the backups in there, but I, I didn't see him out there a ton. Uh, so I don't know if that's something that, um, Brian Kelly is going to, you know, emphasize in, in talks with Clark Lee again, as they, as they prep for Georgia tech, or if he's just going to be happy with, you know, the results that he's had the past two weeks and holding teams to a total of 10 points in two games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it, obviously always something to, to keep an eye on, but it seems like things are starting to, to settle a bit more. Um, and as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, Clarkley uh, confirmed he's he's good at his job, so we'll we'll let him keep, keep doing that. I will say um, I I did like what what I did see in in a limited sample from uh, Isaiah Pryor when he came in and was playing Rover uh, towards the end of the game. I think, I mean the the expectation is that um, Jeremiah Wusukormo is going to be uh, relatively a, a pretty high first round draft pick in the upcoming draft, so. Um, if Pryor does stick around, I think he could be a, a decent option there for the, for the Irish next season. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. I think I think we're pretty much on the same page in terms of, you know, uh, I'd laugh when you say Clark Lee's good at his job. But, man, I mean, but in all seriousness, that's true. I mean, like, you know, you're playing with, you know, um, a linebacker, you know, one of the linebacker spots where it's like uh, we don't really know exactly what we're getting, but, like, we still are playing division one college football teams and holding them to single digits. So, I mean, I, I think you know that Clark Lee has to be good at his job because wherever our weaknesses are in the defense, he's able to cover them up. Uh, and so that really speaks to his game planning, I think. So that's just one thing I I've always sort of appreciated about Clark Lee is that, you know, he, it seems like he always comes up with a plan that's uh, you know, that emphasizes what they do. Well, uh, the defense as a unit does well and they execute. So can't complain. Yeah, and I guess one thing I did fail to mention when we were talking about the offense, um, we learned before before kickoff um, that K- 
Kevin Austin in the week leading up to the Pittsburgh game did re-injure his foot um, and I guess probably fractured that, that same bone. Uh, so the, the I think they ruled him out for the remainder of the season, which is a, a huge blow because I know he, I mean, after missing a couple of games to start the year, um, he was really the guy that fans were, were clamoring to see more of. Um, and especially when, you know, we weren't getting a ton from, from the passing game early on, uh, really hoping that he could bring some juice to that unit. Um, so, I mean, it's been a little bit of a, a rocky start for his career at Notre Dame, but really hoping that he can get things on track um, with a full off season and spring um, of preparation heading into 2021. Uh, so yeah, sucks to hear that. And then also we had late in the game, I think it was in the fourth quarter, um, Brayden Lindsay just running the go route and then pulls up grabbing his hamstring. Um, and just this week they they announced it was a grade two strain and they don't expect to have him back for I think it's two to four weeks and I think they're targeting for the North Carolina game in December uh so so I mean just two big blows and yes that Notre Dame had a great game throwing the ball this past weekend but I, I mean the the struggles have been there in the passing game so far so I mean we still want to see um, then build towards a more consistent passing attack this, this coming week. Um, just going to be tough to do that, uh, missing those two guys. Um, uh, yeah, so something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah. Um, I guess with that, let's shift focus to Georgia Tech. Um, so, yeah, Nerdin's playing Georgia Tech this weekend. They're currently 20-point favorites. Um they're playing in Atlanta at Bobby Dodd Stadium, uh, 2.30 kick. Just seems like kind of a I, – I mean, I guess – I don't know. It, 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 I don't think Georgia Tech is good enough to call it like a real trap game, but this is kind of like that stereotypical spot when you have the big primetime matchup against a team like Clemson the week prior. And even though Notre Dame's not technically – uh, an ACC team, you know, it is like, you know, a, a conference game before, you know, a big primetime game. So it has all the, all the billing of that, but just, just, I mean, at least I personally haven't seen enough from, from Georgia Tech this year to really make me all that concerned. Uh, now, I mean, if we saw something similar to like the Florida State game, then, I would probably be like a little ticked off, but I'd be like, you know what, whatever, just let's just move on and, con- and continue on with the season. Um, ben, how are, you, how are you feeling about this game coming up? Yeah, I, I feel about the same way. I think the attitude here right now, I think, you know, I don't worry so much about it being, and I think you said it really well, that it's not really like your stereotypical trap game because Georgia Tech probably isn't even really good enough for you, for you to call it a trap game. But, you know, I don't really worry about any of that because I think that the buy-in right now is, yeah, we're playing Georgia Tech. We know we've got Clemson. Like, we're not – Notre Dame hasn't been shy about talking about, you know, or at least hinting to, uh, you know, there's – the big fish to fry is on November 7th. Um, but I think the buy-in for Notre Dame is, like, we've got that game, but we got to use this as an opportunity, this game against Georgia Tech, as an opportunity to get better and continue to work on things the same way you 
they bought in that we need to work on things against Pittsburgh and, and things worked out pretty well in, in that regard. So I think Georgia tech is just going to be an extension of the type of thing that we saw against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, Georgia tech's got a couple of playmakers. I mean, their quarterback, um, whose name evades me right off the top of my head. I, I can see him. Jeff Sims. Thank you. Um, you know, has the ability to make some plays and, you know, mobile guy, athletic guy can, get outside the pocket and you know I don't doubt that he'll make a play or two and Georgia Tech will hit a couple chunk plays but you know at the end of the day you know it's not going to be I don't think it's going to be a game that we're sweating out worrying about because I think they're focused enough knowing what's on the horizon to take this seriously as an opportunity to get better so like I say I don't I don't worry about the outcome so much um, even if it is maybe a little sloppy at times um so that's just kind of my overall my overall feeling about how this game's going to go. Yeah, I think it it sounds like we're on the the same page. I mean, he like the I do like um, Jeff Sims as far as uh, I I think he has like a a pretty bright future ahead of him. Um, I mean, just as a true freshman walking in there and and starting at a at a power five school um, is is an impressive feat in and of itself and. I mean, you can see that the, the talent is there, and he definitely has a lot of the the measurables of like a good college quarterback. I mean, he's tall, super quick. Um, I think he's got a decent arm, but really, I mean, you you also just see just a lot of the those um, weaknesses that that come with you know younger players in trying to adjust to the the talent level of of college football. I, I mean, some of his decision-making is a little bit questionable and that's why you've seen uh, a, a fair amount of turnovers from him. Um, I think he has to be a little bit more consistent as far as uh, accuracy throwing the ball, but he's, he's definitely got the, the athleticism to, to make you pay and they'll move the pocket a lot with him, um, do a lot of zone reads, stuff like that, probably some RPOs. Uh, so they'll, they'll make their name, you, you know, earn, uh, earn it on defense and make them def- defend sideline to sideline. Cause they got a, they, they also have a couple of a pretty solid running backs too. Um, and so, I, I mean, it's something that is, is certainly going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I don't think anything too overwhelming for Clark Lee's defense to, to be able to overcome. So, yeah, like you said, I think even though you do have that big game, the following week. It's not a matter of overlooking Georgia Tech. It's a matter of just playing to the standard that Notre Dame has set for itself. Um, and if they're able to do that, they should win comfortably and move on and remain undefeated as they head into to prepare for what, I mean, it's, it's seemingly outside of that Alabama-Georgia game is going to be the, the biggest game in, in college football. So um, yeah, obviously everyone wants to see both those teams undefeated into next week. So let's talk score predictions. What is your final score prediction for this game? I did mention their game's a 20 point favorite and the total is set at 57 and a half. Um, this is a great question. It's sort of because I've been wrong about, you know, so many of these score predictions. Um, Clemson beat them 73 to seven. So, um, I don't think Notre Dame's putting up 73. Um, I'll say that Notre Dame's defense plays pretty darn good, but, um, you know, maybe a big play or two allows Georgia Tech to get into double digits. All that being said, 
let's go Notre Dame uh, 48, Georgia Tech 14. Okay. I So I do think that I, I think the Irish are going to end up with fewer points than they had last week, but Overall, I don't think it's going to be a game where you, you know there's a whole lot of worry anywhere. Um, there was some crazy stat, uh, and I'll have to look it up to confirm. But like Georgia Tech has been like pretty like historically bad when it comes to kicking field goals, and I was just um, just scrolling through a couple of their games uh, from earlier this season, and I think they had it was like two or three block kicks when they played FSU in their season opener. Uh, which is just absurd how that <laughs> how that happens, um, and so like in, in my in my score prediction, I'm like, oh yeah, probably you know ten points, touchdown and a field goal. But then I'm like, will they get a field goal, or is Isaiah Foskey going to block it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I'll say I'll say. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Notre Dame 38, Georgia Tech 13. And the 13 comes from two touchdowns with one blocked extra point. I like it. So that's what I'm rolling with. All right. Um, I guess anything else to add before we get you out of here? No, I think, uh, like I say, this this one's just going to be uh, an extension of what we saw last week. And we just hope that keep the momentum rolling. And like we say, the the – the big fish to fry is uh, a little bit a week, a little bit over a week away. Oh yeah, um, I think I, one one thing to keep an eye on, um, especially with the injuries that ha- they've had at wide receiver, um, is to see if you know younger guys like Xavier Watts or Jordan Johnson do get a chance to play in this one. And hopefully, I mean, if if Notre Dame is able to build a bigger lead than they should, um, but I know that. Ian Book uh, was was publicly praising Jordan Johnson this week um, in his press availability, and I think, and this is something that I haven't really fully understood, but um, the designation between like the varsity team and the not varsity team, because um, that's just a, a designation that I just don't fully grasp. But I think it was like official that Jordan Johnson was designated as part of the quote-unquote varsity this week so hopefully that means we'll get a chance to see him in garbage time if, if Notre Dame's up to a comfortable lead that'd be kind of cool um I know I, I mean once we learned of the news of, of Kevin Austin and then saw Braden Lindsay pull up on the, on that one play fans uh, are just kind of clamoring for more from that wide receiver position so hopefully we do get a chance to to see him in action this weekend did you view what ian book said about jordan johnson as hey coach let me throw this guy more um i mean i think i don't know i I feel like that may be reading into it a little bit too much i i kind of saw it as him just being a leader of the team and trying to um just like show some love to to one of his teammates and say like hey uh you're it looks like because I know that they were talking about him taking pride in, in knowing uh, a lot more plays just without having to be like reminded or, or referenced to playbook. So I think Ian Book was just kind of trying to say like, hey, we see that you're putting in some work and, and some real effort. And I think he was just trying to show him a little bit of love. 
I don't disagree with you, but I'm just going to uh, I'm just gonna in my mind I'm gonna say that that was Ian Book trying to play the media a little bit uh, because I love a good drama. But I don't know. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. Like I say, I don't really I don't really think that Ian Book is like trying to like posture or do any of that type of stuff in the media. But I'd like to think that he might. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna roll with it. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess you know time will tell. Maybe he'll. We'll make another comment if we don't see him this weekend. Um, all right. Well, Ben, thanks again for, for taking the time to, to hop back on the pod. Um, and yeah, as we alluded to, we're going to have plenty of stuff to discuss heading into next week. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, ben, thanks again. Thanks again to Ben Belden for joining the podcast yet again. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to it, and make sure you're following us on Twitter for updates on all future episodes. Until next time, go Irish.